there's an anointing there's an anointing I rebuke that cataract off your eyes I rebuke that oh 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 arthritis I rebuke you in the name of Jesus loose 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 I rebuke that infection in your kidneys and in your bladder in the name of Jesus I rebuke it I rebuke it I said, get out of that bed. I said, get out of that bed and walk around and give glory to God. Get out of that bed. I said, get out of that bed. Get out of that chair. Get out of that wheelchair. Get up. Get up. Get up. Throw that cane down. Throw that cane down. Throw that cane down. Throw that cane down. Begin to walk around. Those knees are working. Healing into those knees. In the mighty name of Jesus, that stroke. Pray. We come against that stroke. That person watching right now, Brother Stephen, that's had that stroke. I see a person right now being healed in that. God's, God's bringing wholeness back to your yes. body and mind now yes. in the name of no. Jesus. Where's she at? She, you got healed online? Watching online? What do you mean you got healed online? I got healed online. From what? I had a stroke. Uh -huh. I used to be a professional pianist and used to play in healing meetings like this. Okay. And you were watching online from where? Sir, from Farmer's Branch in Dallas, Texas, which is about 45 minutes to an hour away. Okay. And I asked the angels to get us here. I said, husband, we have to go. My husband, Breck, right, we here's have your to husband? go. Okay, so you... And then on the way, you called for shingles? Yeah. My husband has shingles. Okay, but I'm talking about you. you but you, me. Yeah, 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 you. Me. Talk to me, what happened? I can start feeling my fingers again. They're starting to work like this. Like this. Heal everyone right now, Lord, believing for that healing. Heal everyone, I pray in Jesus' name. And I command that disease to go. I command that sickness to go now. I command that demon of disease go. In Jesus' mighty name. Everyone of you, lift your hands and pray out loud in the Holy Ghost right now. Come on. I mean pray out loud in the Holy Ghost. A skin condition is being healed. A hip problem is just being healed. Move, move, move that, that leg up and down. That, 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 that pain is gone. You've got a problem with your hip. Somebody has just been healed of a hip condition. Another one of a skin condition a few moments ago. A heart problem is also being healed. I command that heart problem to go. You've had pain in your chest the last three days. God has just healed you now. An infection in someone's left lung. An infection in someone's left lung. You're watching me in your home. Someone watching in your home has an infection in your left lung. The Lord is healing it. All right. <laughs> I know you're thinking... Can this year get any weirder? I show up to Northway Church and we're watching Benny Hinn videos. I just, I don't get what's going on. So as you can see today, we are continuing a series in 1 Corinthians that we actually started back in Easter. And we are today and over the next three weeks covering what are the two most controversial chapters in the entire New Testament. Uh, to some degree, 1 Corinthians 12 and then especially 1 Corinthians 14, which is the most divisive chapter uh, in all of the New Testament. Uh, what you just saw, you may think 
um, is kind of extreme. I mean, I know we have a lot of people who come from different church backgrounds and denominational backgrounds in our church, and you may think that what I did was to pick off of the internet those most extreme kind of out there elements. Um, Understand this, that's not extreme at all. That is very mainstream. Um, When we talk about the miraculous gifts, approximately 40% of followers of Christ around the world believe in and practice these miraculous gifts including the gifts of healing. I mean, that is hundreds of millions of Christians and tens of millions of churches that believe in this gift and practice this gift. And so this is a huge controversial topic, and the question that we are, that we are asking today on these gifts are, are they miracles? Are they real? What you just saw, is that real? Or are they malarkey? And I know that's not a... An, clean word, but I couldn't think of anything else that was an M word to go in my title. So are they real or are they just you know, a bunch of junk? Is it all just made up? Um, before we dive into this question and the passage we're going to read today, let me just set a few ground rules and tell you a few things. One is I'm going to go a little longer today than I normally go. This is a big topic. This is very controversial. Uh, And so I need a little more time to cover it. So I'm going to go a few minutes longer than I normally go. Uh, The second thing is today may seem a little academic to you. If you're a Bible nerd, you will love this sermon. Uh, I'll give you a lot of scripture and you'll connect the dots. Some of you may think, well, this is great, but how does this help me on Monday and Tuesday to live my normal life? Uh, And you may be right. Maybe it doesn't help you Monday or Tuesday, but this is such a controversial, divisive issue that knowing what you believe on what we will talk about today and the next three weeks is critical. And there may come a point where you're asked questions like, well, why don't you practice this in your church? Or what do you believe? And understanding what you believe on this issue uh, will be very important. The other thing that you need to know is this is not a non-Christian versus Christian issue. I have a lot of friends who are in the charismatic tradition, and they very much love Jesus. They very much believe the Bible. These are committed followers of Christ. And what I'm going to share with you today, they disagree with. It doesn't mean that they are any less spiritual, any less saved at all. It just means that we disagree on this issue. In fact, let me frame it this way. As a church, uh, we have certain things, certain truths, certain beliefs that we hold to as essential beliefs. Uh, These are beliefs like Jesus is God. That is an essential, non-negotiable belief. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. An essential, non-negotiable belief. Uh, Resurrection of Jesus. We believe he was literally resurrected from the dead. Uh, Salvation by grace alone. Uh, Those are non-negotiable beliefs that we hold with a very tight fist. Meaning, to be a member of Northway Church, you have to agree with these beliefs doesn't mean that you have to agree with these to attend here. In fact, I know we have a number of people who do not believe these, and they come to church here for whatever reason, and they enjoy coming to church here, and that's fine. You're welcome to come to church here and not believe these. 
But to become a member of Northway Church, you have to believe these essential truths. We also have what we call non-essentials. Non-essentials are beliefs that we hold with an open hand. Beliefs like timing of the second coming of Christ. We have people in the church who very much disagree over the timing of the second coming of Christ. I've been here 13 years. I've preached twice on this, and I changed my mind in between those sermons and preached two different views. I mean, I disagree with myself on this. We, we can get along and be in the same church and disagree over the timing of the second coming of Christ. Uh, observing the Sabbath. We have different views on how one should observe the Sabbath. Some people think you shouldn't work, you shouldn't shop, you shouldn't watch television, you shouldn't fish on the Sabbath. Yeah, you should do no work on the Sabbath. Other people have a different view on how you should observe the Sabbath. That's fine. We can get along. We can be in the same church with different views. Drinking alcohol. We have people with different views on whether or not a Christian should or shouldn't drink alcohol. That's fine. We can get along. We can be in the same church. Now, in between the essentials and the non-essentials, there's another category. This category I call essential practices, meaning we can have different beliefs, but we cannot have different practices. Here's an example, baptism. At Northway, we hold a view of baptism that goes like this. Uh, You to get baptized, need to be a follower of Christ who has personally accepted Christ. And when you're baptized, you're baptized by immersion. That is a belief that we hold and we practice in our church. I have a good friend in town named Chip Miller, who is the pastor of First Presbyterian. He and I agree on all the essentials. We even agree on most of the non-essentials. However, we disagree on this. In his church, they baptize infants, and they do so by sprinkling. Now, there are some of you in the church who agree with my friend Chip's view on how to do baptism, and that is fine. You can be a member of the church, you can volunteer, you can do all sorts of things here. However, what you can't do is demand that your view of baptism be put into practice. If you called me and said, hey, My son is two months old, and I would like for him to be baptized in a worship service, and for you to do it by sprinkling my son, I would say, no, we can't do that. That's not how we practice baptism in our church. And and in fact, if you really insisted on it, I would say, can I set up a lunch with me, you, and my friend Chip, and I'm going to tell you a great church that you should go to because you so firmly believe this. Uh, This is a practice that for the unity of the church, we say here, this is how it must be practiced. Another essential practice are the miraculous gifts. This is a belief that we have that we have put into practice a certain way. doesn't mean that you have to agree with what I'm going to talk about this morning and the conclusion that I will come to this morning. In fact, I know we have some people in our church who disagree with my view and our church's view on the miraculous gifts, and that is fine. However, what you cannot do is demand that your views be put into practice. For the sake of the unity of our church, you have to practice what the way that we practice our essential practices. Okay, so now I've set all that up for you. 
What are these miraculous gifts? If you've got a Bible with you, um, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Back in November, we talked about this particular chapter. And I covered uh, most of the chapter, but I skipped over the miraculous gifts. And I told you that in January, we would cover these miraculous gifts. Well, we're here. We're going to talk about these. These are in a list of uh, spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 is all about spiritual gifts. And in case you missed that particular Sunday, spiritual gifts are gifts from God to individual believers for the benefit of the church. Just to recap real fast, if you're a follower of Christ, every follower of Christ is given at least one spiritual gift to be used for the benefit of the church. That is what Paul is talking about in the passage we're going to read. This is 1 Corinthians 12. We'll start with verse 7. Here's what Paul wrote. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Remember, spiritual gifts are for the common good, for the benefit of others. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So in this particular passage, Paul lists 10 spiritual gifts. Uh, We will not cover all of them. We did that back in November. However, we skipped over the miraculous gifts, and he lists five in this passage. Here are the five miraculous gifts. Gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Now, before we talk about these gifts and why they are miraculous, we need to define what is a miracle. In our culture, many times we misuse this word miracle. In a, by a biblical definition, a miracle is God interfering with the laws of nature He established to accomplish His purpose. Sometimes we use the word miracle when what we really mean is providence. Providence is God working through the laws of nature He established to accomplish His purpose. And so often we will say miracle when in reality what we mean is God's providence. Um, For example, let me ask you this. Let's suppose that your favorite college football team is playing in a big, big game, and at halftime, your team is down 45 to nothing. And then in the second half, they come back, and somehow they are able to get 48 points, and they win the game 48 to 45. Is that a miracle, or is that providence? It's providence, right? No natural laws were broken. Okay, same scenario. Your favorite football team is playing in a big game. At halftime, they're down 45 to nothing. Uh, The second half starts, and the quarterback for your team comes out, 
And he is suddenly able to levitate 10 feet off the ground with the ball and then fly like Superman down the field over the heads of the defense and score enough points for them to come back and win the game. Is that a miracle or providence? Miracle, right? Unless you know something I don't know, that's a, that's a miracle. Okay, here's, here's a, another scenario for you. Let's imagine that you get into a car wreck and it's your fault and the front of your car is damaged. And so you take your car to the mechanic and the mechanic says, look, your, your car is a mess and it's going to cost $1,000 for us to fix your car. And, and you go home and you think, man, this is, this is awful. I don't have $1,000 to fix my car and I need my car to get to work and to get other places. What am I going to do? I don't have $1,000. And that night you get on your knees and you say, God, I need your help. I need you to come through for me. I need $1,000 so I can get my car fixed. The next morning, you get up, you go to your mailbox, you open your mailbox, you pull out a letter, you open the letter, and inside the envelope is a check for $1,000 made out to you with a note from a friend who says, I was praying, and I felt God lead me to give you this $1,000. I hope you can use it. Is that a miracle or providence? It's providence, right? God is working through the laws of nature that he has established to accomplish his purpose. Okay, same scenario. You get in a wreck. The front of your car is damaged. You take it to the body shop. They say it's going to cost $1,000 to fix your car. You go home. I don't know. I don't have $1,000. You get on your knees. You pray, God, please help me here. I can't get my car fixed. I need my car to be fixed. The next morning, the mechanic calls you and says, we pulled your car into the body shop to fix it. And then right before our eyes, suddenly the front end just went straight and the car seemed to fix itself. Miracle or providence? Miracle, right? That is, that is not normal. That is God interfering with the laws of nature. Let's say that your 10th grade teenage son um, is failing math and you pray, God, I just can't have him go to summer school. You know, Lord, I need you to intervene here. And your 10th grade son studies really hard and makes an A on the final, the highest grade in his class. Is that a miracle or providence? It's providence. You might call it a miracle, but that's providence. <laughs> that is God working through natural means. Let's say your 10th grade son is failing this class and you pray, God, please, you got to do something here. I don't want him going to summer school or repeating this grade. And suddenly your son wakes up and without any study and is an expert in calculus. Miracle of providence? Miracle, right? I mean, he didn't study. It just, just somehow came. Let's say that this season the Braves go to the playoffs and they don't blow it and actually go to the World Series. Miracle of providence? Miracle, right, good. So, understanding that a miracle is different from God's providence, then we have to ask the question, what are the miraculous gifts? Why do we label these as miraculous gifts? Here's the definition. Miraculous gifts are God working through individuals and interfering with the laws of nature to accomplish his purpose. These are gifts to individuals where they themselves are able to perform miracles. Paul lists five that we put into the category of miracles. 
The first one is the one that we saw in the video, healing. This is the ability to perform miraculous cures of physical maladies. This is different from being a doctor or a nurse who has gained a lot of knowledge through natural means and is very good at healing people. And this is different from praying for God to heal someone and they are miraculously healed. And we'll see that difference in just a minute. Let me read the story of a miraculous healing that we find in Acts chapter 3. This is a story of Peter and John, two of the apostles, going to the temple. This is after Jesus was resurrected, after Jesus ascended to heaven. This is the very beginning of the early church. Here's what we read. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Okay, notice two things here. One, Peter did not say to the man, I don't have money, but here's what I have. Here's a steroid pack. If you will take these steroids, then I promise you that your feet and ankles will get strong and you'll be better. Peter did not do that, nor... Did Peter lean down and put his hands on this man and pray that God would heal him? Peter personally had the gift of healing, and he commanded this individual who had been lame from birth to get up and walk. This, what Peter did, is similar, very similar, to what we saw in the videos that we watched earlier. This is an example of the spiritual gift of healing being used. The next two miraculous gifts Paul mentions, we're not going to spend a lot of time on today because they're not as common and just for time's sake. One is miraculous powers. This is the ability to perform miracles, most often in Scripture. Uh, This was uh, casting demons out of people who were demon-possessed. And the next one he mentions is prophecy. Prophecy has two elements. One is forth-telling. Forth-telling is not miraculous. Forthtelling is the gift of being able to discern a situation and then speak truth into that situation. Now, people with the gift of prophecy in this way are very good at identifying sin and calling it out or, or telling people what they need to do to pursue God. Now, these are individuals who can simply proclaim what is already known to be true. The other element of prophecy is foretelling. That is proclaiming what will happen in the future. That is miraculous. It is is someone having knowledge of something that has yet happened and being able to, to share that knowledge. Then the fourth miraculous gift is the ability to speak in a previously unknown language. This is miraculous because if you've never studied this language and then you can speak in this language, I would say that's a miracle. That's going against the laws of nature that God has already established. However, 
And this is what we will talk about next week and the following week. Many churches, many Christians believe that the unknown language that Paul referenced here is a heavenly language that is not known anywhere on the earth. Which means if someone speaks that language, someone else needs to have the miraculous gift of the interpretation of tongues, meaning they can interpret this unknown language to them, a language they've never known, that someone has spoken that they didn't know, and then share that message in a language that is known to all. Again, we will dive into these over the next two weeks. Okay, so here's the the burning, relevant question for us today. Are these miraculous gifts still around today? Is what we watched on those videos, is that legitimate? Are these gifts still being used? And specifically, let's talk about the gifts of healing. Are these gifts still legitimately practiced today? What we read about Peter and John doing on the way to the temple, does that still legitimately happen today? Many of you will say things like this. I've heard many people say this. You know, there are all these miracles in the Bible. You read through the Bible and you see all these miracles. Why doesn't God do those miracles today? Why don't we see God doing the same things that we read about in Scripture? Well, let me give you a little bit of context. Most of what we read about in Scripture is God's providence, not God working miracles. There are three historical times in Scripture that we see God working miracles. The first is in the Exodus story. If you've been around church, you're familiar with this. This is a story of God calling Moses to go to the Pharaoh and say, let the Israelites go. And then God sends miracle after miracle to convince the Pharaoh. The big miracle that if you've watched any of the movies you've seen is where Moses parts the Red Sea or God parts the Red Sea through Moses so the Israelites can walk across the dry riverbed while the Egyptians are drowned. I mean, that is a miracle. God interfered with the law of nature that says a river will flow in one direction and stop the river so that the Israelites could cross. The Exodus story has a lot of miracles. The next time is during the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. These were two prophets in the Old Testament who were sent by God to call the nation of Israel back to God. Israel had all but abandoned God completely. They had begun to worship other gods. And so, in a a big, dramatic way, God sent these two prophets to basically turn Israel back to Him. And then the third clump of miracles are seen around Jesus and the early church, or the apostles in the early church. Every time you see a lot of miracles in the Bible, it was because God was up to something big. And the miracles were a means to an end. The miracles were not done for the sake of the miracles. The miracles were done to get people's attention and to accomplish something that God wanted to accomplish. Okay, so let's talk about this last category since that's what we're focused on. Jesus and the apostles. Why was Jesus able to perform miraculous signs? Fortunately, The Bible's very clear why Jesus performed miracles. Peter, in a speech in Acts 2, says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him 
as you yourselves know. In other words, Jesus was given the ability to perform miracles because it was to prove that he was, in fact, the Son of God. It was to give credit to the fact that he was, in fact, exactly who he said he was. Now, most of us in here are like, yeah, of course, he was Jesus. He could do miracles. We're fine with that. Jesus doing miracles and us not doing miracles doesn't bother us because none of us are the Messiah, I don't think, right? We're okay with that. However, we read about the apostles also performing miracles. We read the story of Peter and John earlier. And so the question is, if they had these miraculous powers, why don't we? Or another question is, why did they have these miraculous powers? Fortunately, the New Testament gives us that answer as well. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 says, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Paul does not list out all the marks of a true apostle, but he does put on the list, and likely number one on the list, the ability to perform signs and wonders. Meaning the greater purpose behind Peter and the apostles having the ability to perform miracles was to legitimize their message. The miraculous giftings were a means for people to go, these guys really are from God. How can I know this? Because I've watched them perform miracles. How can I know that the gospel message that they are preaching is true because God has confirmed that it is true through these guys being able to perform miracles? That's how I know that what they are saying is true. Now, here's the question. Why haven't these miraculous gifts continued beyond the time of the apostles and to our time today? Why is it that we, this morning, don't have miracles going on as we meet together? How about the gift of healing? Why is it that we're not right now saying, well, hey, anybody that needs to be healed, let's go ahead and heal you? I mean, if I had the gift of healing, our church would be packed every Sunday. Even with COVID-19, it doesn't matter. If you get COVID, just come on down. I'll, I'll heal you, and then you can just keep on worshiping. Why is it that we're not practicing this in the same way? Why is this the case? Here's why. The apostles had the power to perform miracles, to legitimize their message. However, and this is a statement that is very controversial, and you may disagree with this statement, and millions of Christians disagree with what I'm about to say. Once they and their message were legitimized, these miraculous giftings, even for them, ceased. Once their gospel message was legitimized, the, their giftings, even the miraculous giftings, ceased to exist. Meaning, the miraculous gifts that I listed on the board for you, on the TV, they're no longer around today, in my very humble opinion. I saw a post this week as I was studying for this message that said the reason faith healers don't work at hospitals is the same reason that psychics don't win the lottery. Think about it for just a second. If those gifts were real, why would we have hospitals? Why would anyone go to the hospital? 
You would just go to church. You would go to a faith. You would go to someone who had that spiritual gift, and you would say, I've got this problem. Can you heal me? And they would say, sure, of course, I'll heal you. Ambulances would pick people up in their home, and instead of racing to the hospital, they would race to the local church, and there that person would get healed. Why is it that that's not being practiced? It's because once the gospel message was legitimized, no longer were those gifts necessary. And even for the apostles themselves, even for those apostles, um, the gifts ceased. Let me give you an example of this. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. This is what we read about Paul. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you believe, based on this passage, that Paul had the gift, the spiritual gift of healing? Of course. I mean, absolutely. His gift was so powerful. He had this gift in such an extraordinary measure that even just touching certain cloths would then allow those cloths to be taken to other people and they were healed of their sickness. Paul had in spades the spiritual gift of healing. But this was early in his ministry. Later in his ministry, he no longer has this gift. How do we know this? 1 Timothy 5.23. 1 Timothy is a letter from Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, someone he dearly loved. Notice what he said to Timothy. Timothy, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. And that day, water had more contaminants, more bacteria. And so he says, add wine to your water. It will help your stomach issues. You're sick all the time. This will help. Why didn't he instead say, If you will just touch this letter that I've sent to you, I have rebuked the illnesses of your stomach in the name of Jesus. They are gone, and now you are healed. Why didn't Paul say that? I think the miracle of healing, the gifts of healing had left him. Here's another one. Paul was writing from Rome later in his ministry to the church at Philippi about a young man named Epaphroditus, a member of that church who had gone to Rome to help Paul. He said, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Notice what Paul does not say in the letter. Epaphroditus came to me and he became sick and then I rebuked that sickness in Jesus' name. And I said, sickness be gone and that sickness was gone and now Epaphroditus is better and you yourselves can see just how healthy he is because I've healed Epaphroditus. He doesn't say that. He says God had mercy on him, which likely meant that Paul prayed for him and he And God healed him through natural means or miraculous means. We do not know. But at this point in his ministry, Paul no longer had the ability to say, you are healed. 
So here's what all of this means. These gifts, these miraculous gifts, are no longer given to followers of Christ today. This does not mean that God does not still heal people. This does not mean that God does not still miraculously heal people. You can pray for someone who has some illness, and then somehow miraculously they are healed, and it's very appropriate to say, God answered my prayer, and this individual who had cancer now suddenly does not have cancer, and I'm convinced that God answered my prayer and the prayers of so many who prayed over this individual. That is much different than you walking up to the individual with cancer and saying, cancer, in Jesus' name, be gone, slapping them on the forehead, and they are healed. That is the gift of healing that is no longer around today. Okay, let's try to put a little bit of practical application around all of this. Here are three takeaways that I think we need to take away from all of this. Uh, Number one, we should be open but cautious about miracles. We should be open but cautious about miracles. There are two extremes in the Christian world. The first extreme is God does never, uh, never does any miracles. We, we don't see any miracles anymore. The only thing we see are, are natural laws. The other extreme is basically every time you go to church, somebody gets healed. And there's a miracle every day. And we see God breaking natural laws all the time. The right perspective, according to the Bible, is to say, yes, God can do what God wants to do. However, God has chosen to allow the miracle, the gift, miraculous gifts to cease in our era after the apostles. And here's why. If, if God allowed these giftings to continue, here's what would happen. The gospel message would be lost in all of the miracles that were happening. In fact, what you watched on the videos earlier, my fear is many times the gospel message is lost and what is elevated are the miracles, the physical healings. This does not mean that God does not heal. I have a pastor friend in another state who probably a decade ago I was talking to him about this particular issue, and he said that he, uh, shortly after he arrived at his church, he went to the home of a lady in his church to visit with her, and, and as he talked to her, he said, well, is there anything I can do for you? And she said, yeah, there is. She said, I have had for years this pain in my shoulder. She said, I've had surgery, I've had physical therapy, I've been to doctor after doctor, and this pain just will not go away. She said, yeah, you can do something for me. Would you just pray for my shoulder? He said, sure, I can do that. And he prayed, prayed on her shoulder, and he said a couple of days later, she called him and said, after you prayed for my shoulder, my pain was gone. And he said months later, her pain was still gone. Now, my friend said, that is the only time in his life that has happened that dramatically. And he said, I did not then leave her house and then go set up a big tent and have a faith healing revival and say, oh, now I've got the gift of healing. He didn't do that at all. However, he is very much open to the fact that God can do what he wants to do. And certainly, God still does miracles. Just not giving the gift of the ability to do miracles. Okay, I am open but very cautious. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is with us all the time, not just in the miraculous. Okay, here is one thing I appreciate very much about my charismatic brothers and sisters um, who very much believe in and practice these gifts. While I think they have gone to an extreme 
uh, they have reminded us, some of us who come from traditions where we tend to put the Holy Spirit in a very tight box, that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, part of the Trinity. And I grew up in a tradition where we talked about God the Father. You pray to God. And we talked about Jesus all the time. But the Holy Spirit was a forgotten God. And we sort of put the Holy Spirit up on a shelf and said, you know, I'm just not sure what to make of you, Holy Spirit. And, and just stay right there because my charismatic friends, when they talk about you, they do some things that I've never seen before. And so I'm just not sure. And what they have done is reminded us that the Holy Spirit is very real and active in your life all the time, regardless of whether or not you're experiencing the miraculous. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit with you right now. And every day, every second of every day, when you think there is no way I can resist this temptation, the Holy Spirit is with you. And you can say, Holy Spirit, help me resist this temptation. When you think I do not have the words to say right now, I feel like I don't know what to tell this person who's asking me this hard question. The Holy Spirit is there to guide the words that you speak. When when you're thinking, I don't know what decision to make, the Holy Spirit is there to help guide you in that decision. And in the mundane and in the everyday and in all of the natural laws of life, the Holy Spirit is there to guide you and is very real and present in your life. And then finally, and here's the key, the greatest miracle of all is change lives through the gospel. The greatest miracle of all is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, a great miracle, who lived and died and then miraculously was raised from the dead so that you and I can have salvation, so that you and I can have our sin forgiven and experience eternal life with God. Go back to the story of Peter and John for just a minute. Peter and John, on the way to the temple, there's a man who has been crippled from birth. And they, in that instant, they heal him and he is able to walk. And his life was forever and dramatically changed after that experience for the better. He was able to move around. He was able to work. He did not have to beg anymore. Think about how great that miracle was in his life. However, 10 years later, 20 years later, we don't know, that man died. And without the greatest miracle of all, the gospel reality, he was no better off than when he was crippled. The greatest miracle of all that you can experience in your life is a changed heart through the gospel. Because even if you're healed of whatever it is you're facing today, there will come another day where you get sick again. And if God heals you from that one, there will come another day that you will get sick again. And at some point, the greatest miracle that matters in your life is the gospel. Has this miracle become a reality in your life? And if it has not, today is the day that you can at church experience a miracle where God changes your life, changes your heart, and changes your eternity. Just a minute, I'm going to pray for you. And right now, maybe God is speaking to you, and you're hearing God say, today is the day, today is the day, today is the day for you to get saved, for you to have your sin forgiven, and to follow me. 
I'm going to pray for you. And at the end of that prayer, if you feel like God has spoken to you and you feel like you need to get some things straight with God, we have a resource called the prayer room. To my right and your left, when we stand to sing, just quietly make your way over there and say to the person, I need to know how to experience the gospel miracle in my life. And they will pray with you and they'll read scripture with you and they will stay with you as long as it takes so that you can know that you've experienced this miracle.